Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome along to the Short Ball of Rugby Pass podcast. Scotty Stevenson and Mills Miliana with producer Alice uh, joining you today and also a very special guest uh, on the Short Ball today, Aaron Lloyd, uh, who's uh, ostensibly a lawyer, but uh, funnily enough, a bit of a rugby lawyer. Good morning to you, Aaron. We got you in here, uh, Lordy, because I know you've done a lot of judicial work, represented a lot of players at the judicial, and uh, it's been in the news over recent weeks with both Owen Franks and Joe Moody being suspended for two weeks. The Tabita Nambura case, I think, is ongoing. I don't know if that uh, the result of that judicial hearing's out yet, but uh, every year, I guess, the process uh, comes in for a, a, some deal of criticism. Fans will see an act on a field, players will see an act on a field, and when the judiciary judiciary comes back with their finding, uh, there's sometimes a surprise. So first and foremost, Aaron, how did you get in to this kind of work? So nearly 10 years ago now, 2009, I was doing some work with a guy named Stephen Cottrell, Cotts, who I think many of you guys will know. Milsey, you may, may have even had to look after you from time to time. <laughs> Let's um, just put one thing out there. I have never been in front of a judicial ever in my in my whole career. No, good, good work. I could, I could get you a big discount next time. On basis, <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Um, Cotts uh, was general counsel at the rugby union uh, and has traditionally looked after the All Blacks for a long, long time. And he is, if he's not the best rugby lawyer in the world, he's in the t- top two or three. And um, so I was lucky enough to start working with Cotts about uh, in 2009 and I saw what he did and I liked the look of it so I said hey I wouldn't mind doing some of that and uh, that year Italy toured New Zealand and, and I got uh, signed basically to the Italians as the uh, as their lawyer thinking it was going to be a cushy weekend in Christchurch uh, and after the game I found out as we're sitting down for dinner that their captain Sergio Parisi one of the best number eights in the world had eye gouged allegedly uh, one of the All Blacks um, so my first judicial hearing was an international test judicial hearing for an eye gouge <laughs> uh, on the same weekend that Scott Berger did the same thing in the, in the uh, Springboks Lions game. So do you have to be cognizant of the entire world rugby law book when you're going into these hearings or is it a, a very specific part of the law that you focus on? So there, there's two things. So the, the, the laws of rugby... It used to be Section 10, now Section 9 this year, which is the foul play section. That's essentially all we deal with, which is the, the foul play rules, if you like. And then World Rugby also has a handbook with all the regulations of World Rugby in it. And one of those regulations, called Regulation 17, is the disciplinary regulation. So those are the two things you've got to know pretty well. You've got to know the foul play rules and you've got to know Reg 17. 
So how long has it been um, since lawyers were actively engaged in this? I mean, there probably was once a time where the coach or the team manager would front a judiciary held straight after the game and uh, the decision was made and that was the end of it. Now, every time it seems we, uh, we hear about these judiciaries, uh, the initials QC are involved. There, there's a range, a panel of, of, of judicial experts. Both teams have legal representation. It's a, it's a big business. But has it been an industry that has been created out of necessity or has it been something that in typical rugby fashion has just become rather more bureaucratic over the years? Well, look, I think partly it's come out of necessity in terms of the more formalised nature of it. But in this part of the world, um, two of the guys who were probably the early early stage lawyers getting involved in this process were Warren Alcock and Simon Porter, both of uh, essentially uh, sports agents, right? Mm. So Warren and, and Port's sort of two of the leading sports agents, and as part of looking after their clients, they turns out they're lawyers as well as agents and, and they would get involved in the judiciary and start that. And my understanding of it is that's how Cotts got his break, was off the sort of shoulders of Warren, if you like, and I got mine off the shoulders of, of Cotts. But I, I suggest to you this, since rugby has become more and more professional, more, more and more money's involved, mm. then it's become more and more formal around the judicial process. You know, if a player now goes in front of the judiciary and gets suspended out of the game for five or six weeks. That's a lot of playing time. It's a lot of money from salary, potentially, depending on what his playing contract looks like. Mm. It's a lot of exposure that he's missing out on. Mm. It becomes a big deal. And actually, the teams themselves are really big on it. So, you know, Super Rugby is, a, is an inches competition, right? You know, even the top teams and the bottom teams on their day can knock each other over. And if you're missing one of your good players for an extra week or an extra two weeks, that's a big deal to you. So, mm-hmm. so you want to you want to be a bit more thorough and you want to do what you can to keep them on the field. Aaron, I mean, that, talk us through the process. Obviously, you've had a, a couple already with Owen Franks and, um, and, and Moody and, and co. Do you sit down with them, you know, prior to this, you know, obviously there's a sighting commissioner um, and you go through, right, obviously, you know, here's the set um, tier you know, that you could be out for. Is it then your job to go in and try and work that, that down and sort of say, well, can you send an, an apology to this guy here and there? We may be able to get a week off, maybe a, a week off here, or you know, this is really what we're actually bet, you know, we're battling sort of six weeks kind of thing. What's the the, the tier and what's the criteria that you sort of work on? Yes, it's a bit of all of that, Millsy, and it depends on what level you're at because the rules are slightly different. Roots so of World Rugby sets a regulation, Regulation 17, and then everyone around the world sets their own rules, judicial rules consistent with that. So mm. so Super Rugby, for example, the way it works with Super Rugby nowadays, and we've had different iterations of this, but the one we're running on now, is if a player gets red carded or gets cited by the citing commissioner, then they go in front of the judiciary. And stage one is a committee called the Foul Play Review Committee, or the FPRC. So what happens is if a player gets red carded or cited on a weekend, they go in front of the FPRC. And then Millsy, what I do is I'll either pick up the phone and call the manager or the manager will pick up the phone and call me and we'll have a discussion around it and let me talk you through one by example I'll give you the Joe Moody one from a couple of weeks ago right so it was a Saturday night game I get a call from the Crusaders manager late Saturday night telling me that Joe's been cited by the citing commissioner for a strike on Curtly Beal right so I jump online and Sansa have a website that we all log into so the teams and their lawyers will, uh, will all log into 
Uh, and on that will be all the information I need. So there's a copy of the medical report, there's a copy of the refs report, there's a copy of the video that the Sky Guys or the Supersport or the Fox Guys have cut. And then, so, I, so the way I do it is I look at everything there, I form a bit of a view as to if I was the judiciary, what would I do? Mm. And then I also then put my other side of my brain on and go, right, now, is there anything in there I can see that they might have missed that might be helpful? Mm. And then once I've sort of done that, I'll then jump on the phone with the player. Um, I mean, if they happen to be here in Auckland or I happen to be where they are, then I'll go and see them. But generally speaking, it's done by phone. And I'll have a yarn to them and I'll say, right, tell me what happened, right? And be as honest as you can. And sometimes they're brutally honest with me and I go, <laughs> probably won't say that. <laughs> um, but sometimes they say to me, oftentimes they'll say to me, well, what I was trying to do was this or this. Now, I never played professional rugby, right? I played a little bit of sevens and seconds, second 15, but I wasn't a particularly uh, you know, effective rugby player on the field. So for me, you know, although you get a bit of a feel for the game when you're around the game, you know, the reality is hearing from guys like you, Millsy, when you say to me, oh, look, I did this because I was doing this, mm-hmm. it's really insightful. So the Moody one's a classic example. So Sunday morning, by the time I'd done all that, I had a chat with Joe on the phone. And he said to me a few things which I found really interesting, right? One is I didn't realise it at the time that I'd even done it, right? So, um, and in fact, when Fletch, his manager, came up and spoke to him after the game and said, you've been cited, he was like, oh, really? What for? I can't, he couldn't, he couldn't place it, right? <laughs> now, we all sort of think, oh, yeah, sure, mate. <laughs> sure, you can't place it. But I think he was genuine. He was saying to me, I, I couldn't but, but place it. But that speaks to the element of intent, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And intent's not everything, but it is important. So what I did was I got him to look at the video, right? And he looked at the video and he went, yeah, OK, right, I can see how that is. Let me tell you what was happening. And he said, look, I'd already, I, he'd effectively become a dummy runner, right? I don't know if props ever intend to be a dummy runner. I don't know if that's a plan. But he'd become a dummy runner. And he was going in and, Bertley, and Beale was coming at him, right? And he didn't want Beale to take him out um, because he wanted to stay on his feet. Right? Yeah. So he puts his arm out to brush Beale aside and he cops him in the throat. Right? At the time, he didn't even realise he'd done it. So for me, unpacking that with the player and then going back to the video and slowing the video down and looking for bits in the video which support what the player is telling me. Yeah. I then put that together, and for the FPRC, it goes together in a written submission, mm. and you file it in writing. And then they, they review it, and then they go, right, uh, we think our, our initial view is it should be dealt with like this. And they've got the power to dismiss it um, if they think it's clearly the case that it shouldn't have been uh, cited or it shouldn't have been read. They've got the power to go on the basis of an early admission, we'll give you this penalty, take it, or, take it or leave it. Or they've got the ability to say, actually, we don't think we can deal with it in a cursory fashion. We think it needs much more inquiry, in which case then they'll biff it off to a hearing. And in Moody's case, they said, look, you know, I, I actually argued that he should, shouldn't, have been, shouldn't, shouldn't be considered a red card level offence. I actually argued that Moody should have got a yellow for that. Uh, and the judiciary has the ability to give what's called a warning. It was called an off-field yellow card, Mm -hmm. which is a more accurate description. Um, But they went, no, um, they think that the strike to the throat from Moody was reckless. Um, He should have known that he was at risk of hitting him in the head. he hit him in the head, therefore it's worthy of a sanction, and they offered him a couple of, and they offered him two weeks. So, are you part of that process too, Aaron? Where that that would come with a, a level of suspension, and then you you have to then go back and say to them, well, what about this? What about this? What about this in terms of the mitigation of that sentence? At the FPRC level, you have to throw it all into your one submission. So, right. you know, so I was writing a submission that counterintuitively says. 
it shouldn't be a suspension, it should be a yellow, but if it is a suspension, sure. then you should treat it like this. And there's some guide. so Reg 17, Regulation 17, has some very clear guidelines around sanctioning. So there's a table at the back of Regulation 17, which you can all jump online and have a look at, and what it does is it lists all of the potential foul play offences, and then it categorises them as low, medium or high-end examples. And for each, it has an, a starting point, if you like. So striking with the arm, which, by the way, is different from striking with the elbow um, in terms of sanction. Striking with the arm, low-end entry point, I think, is two weeks. I think the mid-range entry point is four weeks, and the top end is eight-plus, right, mm. for striking with the arm. Striking with the elbow, I think it's three, six, and nine, so slightly different. And in so Moody's case, striking with the arm. World Rugby have said any strike to the head uh, has to be at least mid-range because mm. it's the head. Um, unless it's a kick to the head, in which case it has to be top-end. Um, but otherwise, essentially, a strike to the head is going to be a starting point of mid-range. So for Moody, that was four weeks. Uh, and then you just work through your factors. You know, he's admitting he's done it early on. He's never been in front of the judiciary before. In the case of Joe, um, he's played 100 and however many first-class games of rugby. You know, did he go and approach the guy afterwards? Millsy, you mentioned the possibility of an apology. doesn't always get accepted, of course. But... <laughs> Um, uh, and all those things, and then you say, look, you know, you should give them the full discount, and there's a uh, there's the ability to give a fifty percent fifty percent discount. Is there such a thing in in the rugby judiciary of of a judicial or sentencing review? Uh, and you know, we might as well talk about it because it's timely today. James Parsons has publicly stated that Owen Franks uh, did not apologise to him. Um, if more is made of this and, and if it develops any further, can the rugby judiciary, the Sanjar judiciary, then revisit that sentence accordingly if the claim that an apology was offered was used in, uh, in the defence yep. of Owen Franks? Yeah, so, look, it can be reviewed in a couple of ways. So one is that the judicial officer himself who chairs the Foul Play Review Committee, and in this case I'm pretty, think, pretty sure it was Nigel Hampton QC, there's your QC, uh, <laughs> who is... Um, uh, one of our leading criminal lawyers and, and Kiwi, he's one of the Kiwi judicial officers on the on the mix There's, they're across all the countries. Nigel might well say, hey, I want to know more about that because it, mm. I, I'm concerned I was misled. Now, you know, uh, for what it's <coughs> worth on the Parsons case, I suspect that'll get tidied up pretty quickly, which was that the judiciary were told that Owen reached out to James to apologise. My understanding from what Owen told me is James was pretty gruff in rebutting that approach. So I think both of them are right. I think James is right that probably no apology was given because he told Owen to go away, I suspect, is <laughs> how it went. Um, and Owen is saying, well, I reached out. And what the judiciary were told in Owen's case was that he reached out to give an apology. And I imagine that'll get tidied up pretty quickly. I hope it's already been tidied up this morning. But and, in, get... and in legalese, that semantic difference is quite important. Oh, look, I think, it, I think it maybe is. Let me give you an example of one where it wasn't. I was lucky enough to act for James Haskell, the English number eight, who was playing for the Highlanders at the mm. time. So I didn't look after him in the English context, but after him in the, in the Highlanders context. He punched a guy, we went off to the judiciary, and I said to him, ever been in trouble before? And he says to me, no, never been in trouble before. So we went off to the judiciary and he got a sanction based on the fact that he'd never been in trouble before. Well, it turns out he had. <laughs> turns out that he'd been suspended for a week or two up in England at some stage. The media quite rightly pointed that out. Mm. And I was summoned back before the judicial officer, Michael Heron, QC, I think it was, the former Solicitor General. Um, and Mike wanted to know what was going on. And quite rightly, we said, 
you know, look, you, you weren't told the correct facts, so James's sanction was um, uh, lifted on the basis that that, uh, that it wasn't uh, on the right ba you know, basis. And, did and did you not try the trick in saying, well, he's never been in trouble in a New Zealand judiciary? Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you read read some of the older decisions and you see, you know, described that weekend I talked about with Sergio Parisi back in 2009, um, Scott Berger got disciplined the same week and they gave him a full discount, I think, from memory because he'd never been involved with a, uh, the judicial before for contact with the eye. <laughs> but gone are the days, I think, Scotty, where, um, you know, we take it, I think they take it much more seriously now. Yeah. You know, you're only yeah. going to get one shot at a, you know, decent discount, maybe two. Um, mm. Owen Frank's still got a 50% discount this week and he's had one trip to the judiciary before, but, you know, mm. but Owen's played... 200 and something games of first class rugby, 141 games for the Crusaders and 95 for the All Blacks and he's only been in front of the judiciary twice. And, and you've People got to, forget that. You've got to make the distinction too is that uh, a lot of the criticism after these cases um, and it's after the fact and especially when discount has been given people will point out oh but he did this in a game but he did that in a game or but that player has done this before you can only judge the discount on their judicial record, not the record of what people have seen, especially if those incidents have never been cited or sanctioned by the referee at the time. So do you despair a little as a lawyer when you, when you see the feedback either um, in the written or, or broadcast media or from the public around these decisions? Does it show to you a bit of a lack of understanding how this judicial process mm. works? Um, yes and no. Um, I think we, as a rugby community, could do a better job of communicating all of this. Yeah, you know, yeah, one, yeah. One, one of the reasons why I'm, I, I feel privileged to come on, you know, the short ball and talk about it is actually if if this gives people a better understanding of the process, that's a good thing. So I think you know we can do a better job of it. I think Junos could probably do a better job of not just jumping to conclusions. So the Moody one um, was an interesting one. Before the hearing had even happened, the media were all in about you know thug and cheap shot and smack to the throat and all this sort of stuff. and uh, But no one bothers to wait for an explanation from the player as to what happened, mm. you know. And you know what? Slow motion uh, video footage <laughs> makes it look like you have all this time to make decisions. Mm. And in almost every case that I'm involved in, whatever it is that has happened has occurred within a second and a half or two seconds, mm. right? And, you know, uh, people think that players have all this time in the world to make a calculated decision about exactly where they put their arm or exactly where they put their foot or, or making a decision as to whether they jump for a high ball or not in a really calculated manner. Mm. And that's made worse when you look at it on slow motion because even though we all know that it takes place in a second and a half, human nature is when we see it in slow motion, we say, oh, look at all the time he had to, make mm. it, to decide whether to do it or not. So... Yeah, it does frustrate me a little bit sometimes, Sumo, but I think actually we can do a better job of explaining it all, and um, and I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. I think we're, you know, teams are being a, a little bit more vocal at presses during the week, talking about things. You know, and as I say, opportunity like this is, is golden. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think you're talking about the high ball... Um in the, um, the case at the moment with the, uh, what's his name? Tavita uh, um, And going up. And as a former fullback, you appreciate what like, the, the, the technique he's used. You know, you're taught to go up like that with your, your knee up, so you're, you're driving up in the air. Then you see it slow down with his foot come out. I've been in situations like that before where I've sort of um, put my foot out. Obviously, not quite the same. You know, the, the defensive player hasn't quite copped it in the head. He fooled Jackie, Jan Jackie Chandom. Yeah, I know. He and, fooled but, Jackie Chandom. It's yeah, amazing. 
absolutely. And, and, to, um, and you've, you've got to know, you've got to have an appreciation. As a former player and, and a guy that's been in that situation, you do have appreciation. But to, for, for the, the person that has never sort of jumped in the air and done that and been taught from a lower grade to go up the, in the air like that, you don't realise you're actually getting a foot out and where it actually connects. I mean, even after he'd done it, I think in the back of his mind, he kind of thought, oh, did I just put my foot out there and collect them in the chin and so I suppose that's what you're saying is I mean offering are you are you offering a defense here for I mean Aaron came up as a guest to the show and here you are giving him his case notes this is remarkable generosity I'm, from you Millsy well, I'm well, just I'm, I'm just, just speaking from my own experience but I'm just pleased to hear that that's almost word for word what we were telling the judiciary about the Nibura case right yeah. because so Scotty you talk about it as the Jackie Chan thing and I've had you know comments on social media I've seen them about you know the karate kick and mm. all this sort of stuff um, if you actually look at that Nibura tape, it's not a hard, deliberate kick to the head. If it is, Cam Clark wouldn't have been mm. smiling afterwards, right? And if you actually have a look at the video, you'll see that the, mi the minute that he makes, or the second that he makes contact, all of a sudden his right leg just gets whipped back massively quickly in a way mm. that I, I would suggest means that he didn't realise what he was doing, and as soon as he did realise what he was doing, he did everything he could to get his foot back, right? And thankfully, it looks like Clark didn't get injured. In fact, mm. hats off to him, who when people asked him about it, he said, oh, you know, get on with it kind of thing, mm. right? Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right, Millsy. I mean, people go up, what people also forget in a case like the Nabura case, when they go, all they see is a guy jump up in the air and kick out, right? Yeah. What they forget is that when you are in the air, you are possibly the most vulnerable person on the paddock, right? So, of course, you're going to go up and put your feet out in a way that discourages someone from taking you out illegally, right? Because that's what we're talking about, right? The only way... Um, now, Cam Clark runs up and stops, right? So Clark doesn't take Nibura's space. Clark doesn't take his legs out. What happens is when Nibura kicks his leg out, I think to try and balance himself, to be honest, if you have a look at what he does with his other leg, mm. they both sort of go out in equal measure. Um, and he, he, gets, he gets caught in the face. Well, that's not good, and that's why... We're dealing with it at the moment with the Foul Play Review Committee. That decision will probably be out today or tomorrow. Mm. I think, um, I hope people understand, you know, the decision when it comes out. Some people will be saying it's too much. Some people will be saying it's too little. That means we've probably got it about right. Um, when I say we, of course, it's not up to me. It's up to the Foul Play Review Committee. Yeah. But the Foul Play Review Committee, in addition to a lawyer, has two ex-players on it. Right. So, you know, I think, generally speaking, you know, they, they get it. They understand it. And I think we just need to do a better job of communicating why the decisions are what they are. Absolutely. Great, great to have you on the short ball today. Aaron Lloyd's a lawyer, sports lawyer, and uh, does a lot of work around the judiciary. Uh, finally, from us today, uh, as is the, the notion around where we're going with the judiciary, uh, as you said, you've been involved around about a decade now with judicial hearings, with uh, foul play review committee work, representing players who are called before by the Siding Commission. Are we going to see a, a streamlining of this process in the future, a, a specialist group that's set up just to do this full time, or is it going to be engagement in an ad hoc uh, way in, in a similar way that it is now? I think it's less ad hoc than people probably realise now. So we have three, in Super Rugby, there are three citing commissioners who are engaged to do the review of every game, mm. and they are one South African, one Australian, one New Zealander. So they... Uh, that's what they do, you know, so they wouldn't describe themselves as ad hoc. No, sure. um, we've got a judicial panel which is um, a very experienced judicial panel. We have the likes of Nigel Hampton QC out of New Zealand. We have 
Um, uh, Mike Heron, QC out of New Zealand, who I've already mentioned. We've got um, uh, Adam Castleton, Senior Counsel out of Australia. We've got um, uh, the likes of Mr. Stelzner and others in South Africa. Now, those guys, and almost exclusively guys, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Although there are a couple of women who are doing it um, from time to time, and I think that will increase. But those guys, are, uh, you know, they, do, they don't do it full time, but they do it in addition to their practice in the mm. same way that, mm. you know, sort of I do, although it's a big chunk of my practice. But they're, they're, they're consistent year on year, they're well trained, they're pulled together. I don't see us, we have a similar cadre of them in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, and then they all get together every four years basically for the World Cup. So what they do is they get a chunk of the Southern Hemisphere judicial officers and a chunk of the Northern Hemisphere judicial officers and co-locate them for the World Cup, uh, wherever it happens to be. I don't know that that model's gonna change, Scotty. I think what they've tried to do is streamline the process at the front end a little bit with things like the Foul Play Review Committee, sure. uh, which generally speaking works pretty well. And, um, and then we go off to a full hearing if we need to. I don't see any of that changing. What I, what I think we'll probably just hopefully get a bit better at is communicating it all. Well, Aaron Lloyd, uh, great to have you here. And I know you have to get back to your firm because uh, I saw you looking at your watch before. <laughs> and I know, are we, are we on the clock here? Because I can't afford, I can't afford you. Mate, Just... you're, you're all good. <laughs> Aaron Lloyd joining us on the short ball today. Thanks for your time, Aaron. It is a fascinating part of our game. And uh, there's going to be a lot of chat about, uh, obviously, the Owen Frank story. Millsy is still going. Uh, the Joe Moody story, I think, is dead and buried. Um, that, that's a done deal. And as Aaron mentioned to Vita Nabura, uh, what the outcome of his hearing will be will be quite interesting. I think and how do players look at this because is there in your opinion still a bit of a code within the playing ranks that uh, don't make a fuss about it because you know we don't want another team to make a fuss about something if if we would ever get in trouble oh I don't think there is I don't think there's uh, sort of well don't sort of make a big deal out of it I think in Jipper's case, he generally feels, and you know, you know, as as a player, if someone's actually gone hard or you know done something mm. um, a little bit more, and so he probably feels agreed. It'll take a bit of time just to you know sit back. Uh, obviously, he's a uh, a little bit annoyed, but I think once he, he like um, you know the process is done and, and, and dusted, um, you know he'll get on with it. But um, no, there isn't a code. There isn't a code at all. And, and I think, um, you know, it's interesting to hear what Aaron said because I suppose that the biggest thing um, when you look at stuff is um, is comparing the two. I didn't even realise there was a discount. Man, I would have had a massive discount, eh? So <laughs> when you look at d- different you? scenarios, when guys come You're in... You're a grub. With, I can't believe you <laughs> when never guys come in, You are a grub. No, no, no. When guys come in with a swinging <laughs> arm, okay, and then cop, cop one to someone's head, and then... 
same situation later in a different part of the world and they get two different sort of um, suspensions. That's when it that. becomes Understand frustrating. That. Absolutely. Um, in terms of um, in terms of that, so that's cleared a lot of a lot up for me. But um, certainly from a, a player's point of view, you know when someone's gone a little bit um, OTT. That makes any sense? Makes perfect sense. Well, from uh, the halls of the legal world to now uh, the avenues for women, the Black Ferns Millsy, 28 women's squad have uh, just been announced contracted players, an historic occasion for New Zealand rugby. We're going to get Hannah Porter on the line, a former Black Fern herself, who's now very much involved with the Black Ferns. Hello, Hannah. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you very much. Uh, we've just been talking uh, about your partner, Simon Porter, and now here we are with uh, <laughs> Hannah Porter. So, hey, uh, Hannah, first and foremost, um, look, congratulations, I think, to all um, the former Black Ferns who have laid the foundations for what was yesterday a very historic occasion. Uh, just how excited are you about yesterday's announcement? Yeah, really excited. It's um, It seems a long time coming, uh, I suppose, having been a past Blackfern, but in reality it actually happened really quickly after the World Cup. Um, and within six months we've got our first contracted players, which is amazing. Talk us through, uh, I, I know we, we, we talk about the fact that this is history making, that we're going to have players who are being paid to play the game, which is wonderful. I know it's it's not what you would call uh, on a par with the men at the moment, Hannah, and I don't think that was ever what the intention of people like yourself and the Black Ferns had. But talk to us about what this contract fundamentally means for the players and how it's structured. Yeah, so um, the discussion was met, it started really around um, what support we could give the players to become 12 month a year athletes. Um, and so money was one part of it um, to allow them to uh, work outside of their working hours. Um, but the second part, and I think the most important part, was around the support that they're given uh, within their prov provincial unions. Um, so we focused really heavily on getting the best people um, across all of the six pillars, so strength and conditioning, skills, um, mental skills, nutrition, um, and in that holistic space um, to support the players um, and, and take away, I suppose, the um, distractions and um, it becoming hard for them to be able to uh, turn into a 12-month-a-year athlete. Yeah, and I mean, how does that sort of work now with uh, well, with the, the woman? Do they go in? Do they are they, do they, are they sort of um, you know? Obviously, they're not in a team environment; they're contracted. But in terms of the skill set um, and and conditioning and things like that, do they just fold into um, say Manoa two uh, and, and and their provincial team, or do they have specific? coaches that will, will travel the country and, and work with them throughout the year, you know, as, as you say, to, to make them better athletes? Um, a little bit of both in that respect. Um, so at the moment we've got um, 10 provincial unions that are providing services um, and they're all set up slightly differently. Um, but in the main, they're either folded into the men's academy system um, within the provincial union. So at the moment the girls uh, in most cases are working outside of their working hours. Um, so between outside of nine nine to five, um, and the school sessions, uh, we've asked them to, I, I suppose, be able to train either with the wider minor ten cup teams or the academy sessions to um, provide a bigger group within that union and push the girls and their skill sets. But we've also got um, our first ever full time staff member within the um, Black Ferns management group, um, which 
and his job is to um, also go around those provincial unions and work with the managers there to um, to make sure that we've got everyone on individualised programs as well to to keep working on that. And uh, let's just talk about a couple of players here. Fiaul Farmasili, the World Cup winning captain, who thought, right, that's me, uh, hand in the jersey, uh, I've brought home Nancy, I'm done. What the hell has happened here? <laughs> oh, look, I think it's a, it's kind of goes two ways there. We, we probably, well, to be fair, we rang her and said, look, we're a bit short uh, in the number two jersey. Um, and with the changing of environment from a completely amateur to semi-professional, uh, fee offers us a lot both on and off the field. Mm. Um, over uh, since she uh, handed in the jersey, she's actually um, fitter than she's ever been. So she, um, <laughs> she she said she'll give it one more go. We'll see where we go from there. You never know; she might hang in there for another four years. Well, from the from the veteran to some of the new faces, uh, how many of the women who have uh, now been handed a contract are, are first time Black Ferns, and and why why those women in the squad? Yeah, really exciting. So we have ten um, new players in that group. Um, in the backs, I suppose we have lost, uh, not lost, but. Um, some of the Blackburn Sevens have gone back into the World Series um, events. Um, so really exciting to be able to bring some new talent through into our backs. Um, just to touch on a couple, Grace Brooker, um, young and exciting, 18-year-old, first year out of school, um, played really well in the FPC last year um, and also in the Canterbury Sevens team. Um, Young halfback Ariana Baylor from Waikato, who's actually been around a long time. She's mm. played four years of FPC and, and was actually really unlucky to make the um, the World Cup team through um, a pretty long-term injury. Um, and yeah, we've got we've brought in a couple of first fives um, into this group um, just because it's an area of uh, that we need a little bit of depth in. Um, in the forwards. Um, We've brought in some players mostly around uh, our loose forward area. Um, Dice being the youngest, still at school, um, 17 from St. Mary's School and sister of Lyric, who's in the New Zealand Sevens contracted mm. group as well. She can play. I've seen her at the Condor Sevens. Both, well, both the Faliafunga sisters are amazing, but uh, that, that's massive for a 17-year-old to be given this opportunity, Han. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and a little bit we knew that we had to um, look to the next four-year cycle. Um, so it was, it was very much put on the coaches to uh, make sure that we bring some youth into the group, um, not only to get them through to the next World Cup, but also add a little bit of excitement and um, and pressure on the older ones. Okay, and so I know it's only early days. You've uh, got the foot, you, you, the girls have got a foot in the door now. Are we looking to actually provide teams for them later on? Where do you see it going? Sorry, what was that, Mills? Sorry, I was just asking, are you going to see it? Do you see a competition later on? And I'm, I get a little bit excited here, but uh, <laughs> is there going to be a competition later on? Or is that something that you're eyeing up for the future for I the women? I think Millsy wants super women's rugby, super rugby women's. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it certainly started the conversations around what next and that national level. Um, and we're doing a review of all competitions at the moment. Um, Super or the, the type of super rugby competition would certainly be very exciting. There's a couple of – so obviously Australia started that with the Super W this year um, and they've very openly said that they would like to to combine New Zealand and Australia within that competition for next year. 
Um, England and France also got semi-professional competitions up and running. So um, definitely being looked at and, and hopefully we will be able to come up with something um, and roll it out within the next couple of years. For us in a Black Ferns group, really important that um, we actually provide them a competition in that first half of the year, whatever that ends up looking like. And we, I assume you were there yesterday at Tamaki College? I was. Now, just talk us through your emotions uh, watching that all play out because I, I know you've been actively engaged in this process, but to see it come to fruition in front of those kids and with the women there on site uh, having this announcement made, where were you at emotionally? Oh, I'm just really proud, to be honest. Um, really proud that um, we're finally allowed to announce it. The players that were with us actually didn't, they've all been very good at keeping secrets and actually no one had been talking about it or knew who was in the group. So for the three that were there, they were also wrapped to find out who was there. Mm. Uh, for the for the students in the crowd, um, it was great having Grace there. Um, obviously a very similar age to them and the inspiration that she provided for, they had the girls uh, first 15 there, um, mm. was just awesome to see. And, and finally, um, wrapping up this, this Black Ferns chat, but by no means will it be the last time we talk Black Ferns on the short ball this year. Uh, let's just talk about the excitement around fixtures. We know we've got the double headers um, with the All Blacks and the Wallabies and uh, the Black Ferns and the Wallaroos, but also adding just last week the fixture in Chicago against the USA team. Uh, it's a growing itinerary list. Uh, how much more can we grow this? Yeah, so for this year, we've got another two to announce, uh, and hopefully that will be very soon. Um, and, and look, we're looking to get it to a point where we're sitting around six to eight test matches a year. I think that would be a really good schedule for the girls in regards to time requirements um, and to give us the best shot of winning the next World Cup. But some really amazing uh, test matches this year. Um, the girls get to play at home after winning a World Cup. Mm. Last year, we get to play in Australia where we haven't actually played for... 10 years. Uh, wow. we've, been, we've, we've never played in the USA. Mm. And the, the last ones that we're about to announce as well, it's not a market we've been into much before either. So, yeah, super exciting. Hannah Porter, we couldn't be more thrilled for you and all the ladies. Uh, we wish you all the best for the year and, and hopefully we can have another chat uh, once the, uh, the real business of rugby rolls around, buddy. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks, Han. Hannah, yeah. Hannah Porter there uh, out of the Black Ferns management group. Um, Aaron hasn't gone back to the office. He's still here, which is great. Um, I'll come to you first, Aaron. I mean, this truly is very exciting, isn't it, for, for women's rugby and for rugby in general? Oh, it's fantastic. And what it's going to encourage, I think, is the more we see them play, the more we, the public, are going to want to see them play, right? Mm. And, you, and you talked about how, how, you know, obviously this isn't parity with the men, Right, but there's no reason they can't get close, right? And if you think that the measure of that is, you know, the excuse that always given will be commercialism, right? Well, mm. you know, people aren't watching it as much. I'm absolutely going to rock up to watch the curtain raiser of the All Blacks Wallabies to see the women play. I'm absolutely going to watch more women's 15s oh, on, yeah. on the telly. <laughs> yeah. And the more and more we get it, the more they play, the more we're going to the watch more them. more we're going to watch. Look, you know, I, I always feel privileged to be in a commentary box anywhere in the world. Um, but, you know, Sky has given me the chance to commentate the Black Ferns Australia game in Sydney. Uh, when I heard that, I was jumping out of my skin to get there. <laughs> I, I just cannot wait for that. Producer Ellis, we haven't heard from you. You've got a, you've got a bit of a runny nose, but um, come yeah, on, Mike. Yeah. Look, you know, a women's perspective here, that's what, we, that's what we love about you. You bring a different viewpoint to uh, this bunch of um, stale males on the, on the panel. <laughs> uh, but, you know, hearing Hannah speak and listening to the news around the Black Ferns, 
What do you think that will do for, for women's rugby and for, and for female athletes around the country? I think any story like that is, is great in terms of just inspiring a newer generation to come up and see that as a viable option for a sport that they're going to play. I mean, when I was in high school, it was kind of netball, football, and then I went to have some girls. It was like underwater hockey and shit. It all came, <laughs> that all came above right, rugby, pathway. basically. <laughs> the pathway sports, yeah. underwater hockey. Yeah, but I think that things like this are definitely um, really crucial in bringing up that that next level of athletes and kind of strengthening the sport in the, in the future. I, just, I know so many of the girls uh, from you know, hanging around and uh, I've had the privilege of being in their camps before and, and seeing them play, but uh, I, you know, I, I just know what they'll be like, Millsy. Yep. They'll just be thrilled. They'll be, honestly, they'll be on cloud nine. But what I think is, is masterclass is having feedback. I mean, Hannah spoke about it there, you know, all the news reports that came out is that she was like wanted to come back. Well, no, it was actually awesome that they went to her as part of uh, a group coming forward and to make sure that she pushes that on. So mm. they're not just sort of, it's not only a once a thing, they know how hard it was for them to get to the stage, yeah. now push on for the for the younger generation. And how good is it to have a role model like that in there? Well, I mean, Fia has been a, a servant of this game for so long. And also, what, what a great gesture from yeah. New Zealand Rugby and the management of the Black Ferns to say, hey, I know you left last year, but we want you to be a part of this. We want you to feel like your service yeah. has been rewarded under this historic contract. As we've got some breaking news too. Some breaking news out of ESPN um, to deal with here. James Slipper, uh, I believe, uh, has just been found guilty of uh, using cocaine. Yeah, so it looks like he's tested positive on the illicit drugs program uh, in Australia. So they've banned him, so obviously out of competition, and they've stood him down for a couple of months. And by the looks of it, he's released a statement saying he's not ready to address it all yet, but he realises he's embarrassed himself and let people down and all those sorts of things that you expect to hear. And um, so that's that's been Raylene's press conference this week. Wow-wee. James Slipper, uh, as you all know... Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Australian rugby. I'd tell you what, if I was writing the headline, though, uh, it's, this is a great pun. You could have a blow low instead of a low blow. That would, um, oh. that would be my headline of choice for this. Uh, cocaine and rugby. Look, you know, drugs and rugby are going to become an issue. Uh, recreational drugs, I think, you know, we've seen cases. John Hardy up in Scotland. We've seen mm. a smattering of cases before. Um, I think there'll be some people looking at James Slipper, which is very close to home for players in this part of the world, none of whom I think... Uh, have been done for anything illicit uh, from an illicit drugs point of view uh, during in-season work. But, and I'm not saying everyone's on drugs, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> you know that these guys are young, young athletes and those temptations are going to be there. And uh, I think the management of uh, illicit drugs and, and our education around that I think has to improve in this context. And, well, and, uh, and, it, and it has, Sumo. So we have an illicit drugs policy in New Zealand rugby now and when that was introduced... A couple of years ago, the Players Association was really strongly involved in it, and that applies to all levels of uh, the game, professional game, if you like, so not just the players. Wow. So the illicit drug policy will be exercised to test management. It'll be exercised to test executives. It'll be exercised to test players. And the, wow. and, and the, and the distinction is this. So we have, we've had for a long time had the WADA anti-doping code, right? Wow, yeah, yeah. And that's all about in-competition testing by and large, a little bit of out-of-competition mm -hmm. testing. And illicit drugs program is something quite separate. So AFL led the way in Australia for introducing it. Uh, now rugby's doing it. What it means is separate from the doping 
uh, testing, if you like, the sports doping testing, you have this program of, of illicit drug testing, which generally speaking will give a player one or two chances whereby they'll be given some counselling and given some support. The press release that we've just seen about Slipper says that it's a second strike, if you like. So it's the second time under the illicit program he's tested positive for cocaine. Um, and as a result, it's kicking in from a welfare, disciplinary, code of conduct point of view, rather than from a WADA doping point of view. And he's probably lucky, because if he gets caught doping with cocaine in the system during competition, then it's the Wendell Saylor case, right? You're out, mm. for, you're out for two or four years. So four years wow. probably now under the rules. Wow, we. Wow. James Slipper. It's a bit on the nose. Times have changed, though, Sumo. I mean, society has changed, and, you know, these sort of things are more accessible as well. I mean, mm. you look back at mm. the stuff like the sleeping pills, you know, and sort of had to manage that. Now, Can we get gee. to the bottom of that, too, by the way? Did you put a sleeping pill in my drink on the flight back from Johannesburg after the 2009 Super Rugby final? I can honestly say that I was the only sober person on that plane. Yeah, I can probably actually agree with you. And I did not put any sleep. As much as I wanted you to go to sleep and the rest of my team, I did not. It's a promise? It's a promise. Someone put a sleeping pill in my drink. No, it's a promise. I was more worried about getting some sleep. I think so were everyone else in business class. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to go down that story, mate. No, well, I mean, enough time has passed. We, we can visit. There's a statute of limitations, surely, Aaron. You're, I mean, you're our guest lawyer today. Your best defence sounds like you're in international airspace, to be honest. So we'll, <laughs> Thank you. We'll That's that. exactly why I've got you in here. Uh, boys, finally, we're going to wrap up here on the short board. It's been a what, in-depth pod today. We haven't really talked a lot about rugby, but um, one game and one game to rule them all this weekend. Hurricanes, Crusaders, Millsy, where are you going and why? Oh, well... Now that Whitelock and uh, yeah, uh, Crotty's out. And Moody and Franks. It, it's hard not to go past the Hurricanes. That is massive yeah, experience huge. that you lost. And, and I think the Hurricanes have, like they, they have, they've played very well, but there's stuff in their game that they know they have to perfect. So it's hard not to go past the Hurricanes. What about for you, Aaron? I know you're an objective observer here. I sort of am. You know, I, I grew up in the King Country. I lived mm. in Auckland for a long time, but... You know, I'm lucky enough to act for all five of our teams and get to know quite a few of the guys. So I sort of, I am in that position where I sort of don't care. Um, mm. But on paper, in the, the head says exactly what Millsy's talked about, right? So that's a massive loss from the from the Saders. Huge. Um, but look at the depth they've got, you know. Look at the, just added a fresh All Black. They've got, you know, others. Tim Perry's out too, that's by right. the sounds of it. That's I, right. I haven't quite caught up yeah. on the detail of that, but... TP's out as well, which is a real shame for him. Um, but yeah, it's hard to think, isn't it? And they're not going to be holding back either of oh, them, are they? I mean, you know, that that, that, top, oh, full that top spot on the log is pretty pretty critical. Well, the Crusaders have got to get used to it pretty quickly because uh, it's all New Zealand teams for them from here on into the end of the season. Aaron Lloyd joining us on the short ball today. Uh, Mills Mulliana, Scotty Stevenson, producer Alice, been a pleasure. And I'm going to finish with one bouquet to the Crusaders. I bang on it about a lot, but um, I just want to congratulate them. Uh, for saying to Sam Whitelock and Ryan Crotty, you're not ready to play. Um, yeah. I don't think we're we're fully on top of uh, head injuries and how we treat players yep. at the moment. Yep. But I think this is a very strong signal sent to others that if in doubt, leave them out. And uh, I couldn't be more thrilled. Even though we're robbed of seeing a couple of great players in a game of Super Rugby, who knows what that might mean to both of those guys at the end of their career and beyond. So um, well done, Crusaders. Awesome, Sumo. If in doubt, leave them out. Chirp, chirp.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 